Is it okay to ask God why? Why do you allow evil? And why do evil people get away with things? And even more than that, why do good people get caught up in the messes that others make? Hi, I'm Yvonne Prent, and welcome to Bible 805. We've all asked these questions, but sometimes we feel bad when we ask them. But as we look today at the prophet Habakkuk, we'll understand that it's not only okay to ask God, but to ask Him again and again and again if we don't like how He answers us. The book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament is a fascinating book, but before we get into answering the questions on how he questioned God, let's look at the form of the book before we actually look at the content. What's important to understand about this book is is that it's a record of a conversation with God. Now, a lot of the prophets, they preached at the people and it was a message from God, but this is actually his conversation with God. Job is another book that's like this, where Job has these interactions with God, and so are some of the writings of Paul in the New Testament. Now, I want us to think just for a few minutes about the significance of this form of communicating with God. Now, today, when we when people talk about how they've heard a message from God, it can either be a form of delusional self-deception or... I would propose that it can also be the natural expression of an intimate and real relationship with God. Well, how do we know? How do we determine that? One very helpful resource to me in this whole area of my Christian life has been reading the book Hearing God by Dallas Willard. It's a book that I would highly recommend to everyone, but obviously we don't have time to go into the whole book, but I would like to read to you one quote from it where he says, Hearing God... A daring idea. Some would say presumptuous and even dangerous. But what if that is what we were made for? What if the human system simply will not function properly without it? There are good reasons to think it will not. The fine texture, as well as the grand movements of life, show the need. Is it not, in fact, more presumptuous and dangerous to undertake human existence without hearing God? And I so agree with him on that. And as I look at the Bible, think about it. From the very earliest days, when God put people on the earth, when he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, it said that he walked with them in the cool of the day. He had personal intimate interaction with them. And when they sinned, that was broken. But one day, as the Apostle John tells us in Revelation, we will have that same kind of intimacy with God, where in Revelation 21.3 it says, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. Now, that is a glorious future to look forward to. Eden was a wonderful past to look back on. But what is really exciting is that though we can't see our Lord face to face today, we will someday, we can't see him that way now, but we can still have a very intimate and interpersonal relationship with him. And in addition to 
to just knowing that we can do that, I would like you to think about this. I think that we really need to be in conversation with God because we're really not created independently. We we like to think that, oh, we make up our own mind and we're the master of our fate and the captain of our soul, but really not. We were created for interaction, for fellowship, and we always have what I call, what well, it's not, I didn't come up with this phrase, but what people call our referent others. These are the voices that we listen to. These are the voices in our heads that control our actions, even when we're not conscious of them. Now, some people listen to the voices of the media. I, I was uh, sharing with my Sunday school class how one young lady that I knew for a brief period of time, and fortunately she changed this, she had a picture of um, a movie star on her Facebook page, and I, I won't mention who it was, but anyway, she had the picture of this movie star, and I, I said to her, I said, now why in the world did you put that on your Facebook page? This was as her picture. And she said, well, I don't like how I look. I want to be like her. And I thought, oh my goodness, how sad, because she was a lovely young woman. So we can get um, the, the referent other in our head can be a movie star. It can be a sports team. It can maybe be our social group. Uh, we often talk about people wanting to keep up with the Joneses. Well, the Joneses can have a really big impact on our life. But what I would propose is that it's so much better if instead of turning to these different things, that our heart immediately turns to God and His Word when things challenge us, when we need to know how to act in a situation. That's what Habakkuk did. And that's one of the things that's going to be really exciting to see how he reacted in a very difficult time. Just briefly to review the history and to put it in the setting, because as I always remind people, all of these prophets that we study were real people who lived in real historical times. Now, he lived in the kingdom of Judah. The kingdom north of him is Israel had fallen and was exiled to Assyria. Now, it was a time of tremendous political upheaval. Judah was still free, but Assyria was right there um, getting ready to invade. They'd actually uh, had little excursions in the area. They'd conquered other towns. There had been a great revival under Josiah, the good king, but he had died. And so it was it was really a scary time. Babylon was to the south of them. It was rising greatly in power. And in the midst of all of that, Habakkuk, he, he goes to wherever his place of prayer was, and he this is how the book begins. He says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you, Violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife, conflict abounds. The law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. And sadly, we can kind of identify with a lot of that. Um, There was a tremendous amount of evil on the world stage. And not only on his world stage, but not only that, but in his nation, people were doing things that he knew violated God's laws. Sadly, people had not learned from the past messages of the prophets. They hadn't reformed their ways. They hadn't really, in heart and in deed, reaffirmed their covenant with God. Habakkuk knows that things are wrong, and he wants to know why God isn't taking action. And a lot of times, we feel the same way, don't we? We say, God, these terrible things are happening. Why don't you act? But God answers him, 
but he doesn't answer in the way that Habakkuk expected. And here's what God said. He said, Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth. They laugh at fortified cities. By building earthen ramps they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. They are guilty people whose strength, whose own strength, is their God. Now, let me just take a little break here and talk for a few minutes about Babylon, what he's talking about. They were the latest power on the world stage. Previously, as I said earlier, Assyria had conquered Israel. Assyria had been sort of the big bully. They were incredibly powerful. They were a very, very old power. They were founded in around 6000 BC. They were one of the oldest, the largest, and most powerful nations in the ancient world. Their main city, Nineveh, was huge. It was about seven and a half miles in length. The walls surrounding it first had a retaining wall that was 20 feet high, and then it was surrounded by a mud brick wall that was 33 feet high and 49 feet thick. It was huge. Um, It also had these stone towers and all sorts of things for reinforcement. It was very evil, very pagan, and it was incredibly cruel. I have shown in my Sunday school class these uh, reliefs on walls that we've discovered um, actually a huge amount of information about this country, but they love to torture people, and they love to record it. We have pictures of them impaling people and cutting off heads and skinning people alive, and they they were just mean. And so we know that they were a very cruel people. Well, they repented. They were the ones that Jonah was sent to. They repented under Jonah, but they returned to their old ways. And eventually, they did conquer Israel, but they themselves were conquered then by Babylon, which is what is happening in the book of Habakkuk. Nahum predicts this, and this is what happened. Now, Babylon was um, was only strong for a very short period of time, but they just completely devastated this ancient, ancient land. And they did it so completely that Nineveh was completely wiped out and not rediscovered until the 1800s. And so this is what, what uh, God is telling Habakkuk is going to happen. But he wasn't happy about that. He says, Lord, Are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. He's sort of pointing out, you know, God is eternal and you're strong. And and remember us, we're kind of little guys. But he said, you, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, you ordain them to punish. But then he can't kind of wrap his mind around it because he says, but your, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? And in other words, God, you know, why are you letting this happen? And it's great, I think, that Habakkuk could answer, could sort of respond to God like this, but he doesn't just keep on and he doesn't get mad because then he sort of calms himself down and he says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint.
Now what we've learned so far, I want us to pause right here, is we've learned, I hope, that it is totally okay to question God, to discuss with God, to yell at God, to cry out to God with what concerns us. God often, though, does not do what we expect because we see just a limited view of what's going on. Whether it's a world problem, a national problem, something in our city, something just in ourselves and our family, we simply want the problem to stop now. That's what we want to have happen. We want it done. We want it over with. But God is often working on something much, much bigger. And so it's perfectly okay to question, to ask him. But we also have to keep in mind that we're not the one that decides what is supposed to be going on. Uh, Sometimes, like Habakkuk, we have to wait for an answer. I had a professor in seminary who, it was in a hermeneutics class where you learn how to interpret the Bible and things like that. And I'll never forget where he said, if I don't understand something in the Bible, it's my problem not God's. And he said, I found the best thing for me to do is to wait and research and ask and eventually I'll get an answer. And I found that to be really true. I know some of the passages in the Bible that were very confusing to me when I was younger, they make a lot more sense now. And and some of it's just the passage of time and study. But then God answers Habakkuk with a message for all times. And what he says is he says, write down the revelation Make it plain on tablets so the herald so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he says, the enemy's puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by faith. And then God goes on and he catalogs all the sins of the Babylonians. They're stealing, extortion, plundering, sexual sins, excess drinking, idolatry. And he's saying, I know what they're like. But God is also patient, even with them, wanting them to repent. But what will go on and happen in really a very short, short period of time is that Babylon does conquer Assyria, as I said, totally demolishes it. But its empire lasted only about 80 years. Then it was gone, and the people were taken captive, but they were returned to their homeland. And then Habakkuk responds to God's response, and he said, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound, decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. It does remind me too of of when uh, God spoke to Job. He said, I I just realized, you know, who am I? What, What am I doing? Questioning God. He said, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. And then he goes on with this extraordinary passage, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and enables me to tread on the heights." Habakkuk knows he's not going to get out of the troubles. His nation will be conquered, but he can praise God 
in the middle of them. And that's that is such a big lesson and I, I want you to really listen and think about this because that's how we live our Christian lives. So often it's like we're holding our breath and we're kind of waiting until this or that gets better and then we'll serve God or then we'll trust him or then we'll do whatever we think we should do. But what we learn from Habakkuk is no, God's plan is going forward and sometimes and we might not like it. We might be caught up in the sins of others, in issues far bigger than we are in just a lot of things, but we can still trust God. We can still rejoice in Him, even though we can't rejoice in our circumstances. And I always remember that in Thessalonians, it talks about in everything give thanks. It's so important in that passage to recognize that little word in, It doesn't say to give thanks for everything. There are a lot of things that happen to us personally and in our world that we cannot be thankful for. But we can thank God always in these situations because He is still in control. A few additional observations and applications. Remember, God is always working on a bigger picture than we are aware of. But in the midst of that, we are to live by faith. This is quoted again and again in the New Testament in other parts of the Bible. But now we need to understand what that means. And I want you to listen really carefully to this because there's a tremendous amount of misunderstanding on the role of faith and what it is in our world today, even in many parts of the Christian world, because a lot of people will use that phrase, have faith, have faith. You just need to have faith. Well, faith is not some magical thing that makes things happen. A lot of people think that if you have faith, that it's a formula that means if you believe something strong enough, you'll make it happen. A lot of that is based on a really, really bad translation of Hebrews 11.1 in the Living Bible, where it says, what is faith? It is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. It is the certainty that what we hope for is waiting for us, even though we cannot see it up ahead. That little phrase, the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen, is absolutely false. There is no, that's a terrible, terrible, terrible translation. There is no textual support for that, and there is no theological support for that anywhere in the rest of Scripture. What it actually says in the NIV translation is so much better. And bear with me now, this is going to take a little bit of explaining, but this can really change your life, because if you don't understand this, you're not going to understand a lot of the ways that God is dealing with you. In Hebrews 11.1, what it actually says is, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and an assurance about what we do not say. This is what the ancients were commended for. You see, to live by faith means to see present events in the light of God's eternal plans and to trust God today and to believe Him today for what He's doing primarily for the future. If you look at the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11, their lives were not about all this stuff that they worked up and all these feelings that they worked up and then when they had enough faith, God did things. No, 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 no. 
Many of them, during their lives, live pretty miserable lives. We're going to look at some of them in a minute. Live very challenging lives. And even though they were commended for their faith, their life did not go the way they wanted it to go. They lived their life, they made decisions, and they lived based on God's ultimate plan of salvation and their future with Him, not only on what they wanted in the here and now. You see, where faith is so important is that's the only way we can have this perspective. We can't perceive it any other way. Let me give you a couple of specific examples out of Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He does not want to go into this wilderness. Um, he there was a lot of things he wanted. He wanted a son, but it wasn't, you know, his, when he tried to force it to happen, when he, he got Hagar pregnant, and whenever he wanted to be in control, it didn't go well. But it says that finally he got to the place in his life where he looked ahead to what God was promising. That was the faith that was commended by God. When he did that, when he trusted God, that's what God commended him for. And then Moses, it goes on in Hebrews 11.24, it says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along the way with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded the disgrace of Christ of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. See, again, he didn't just focus on right was in, what was right in front of him. He didn't, by his own faith, just sort of work up these miracles. No, he trusted God, and he was looking forward to what was coming. Both of these men, and many others in the, in, um, there in Hebrews 11, you see, what they had was an eternal perspective. That's the view faith gives us, not as this way to force God to do what we want him to do in the here and now, but enables us to see, by faith, the glorious future that he has planned for us. So let me summarize that what living by faith is. Well, let me read you actually Hebrews 11 summary. It's much better than mine. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them 
received what had been promised. These are the people that were called heroes of the faith, but you see, it wasn't because of what they made God do in their lifetime. They trusted God and His future for them. Their vision, their orientation of life was of faith, no matter what their present troubles or the world situation or whatever was going on inside or outside of them. So, how can we apply this? How can we be at peace in our crazy world or maybe the crazy life that we're living? We need to, above all, take time to know God's big picture, to know His eternal plan in the Bible. I remember so well when I was growing up, and it's, it's kind of sad. I'm, you know, I'm an old lady now, so I can talk about when I was growing up and the things I learned then. But one of the things, one of the songs that I remember so well is it's one that went something like this. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. That is such great theology because the Bible again and again talks about how we're strangers, we're pilgrims, we are not citizens of earth, we're citizens of heaven and that's what we need to live like we are. The sad thing is so many of us want to settle down and make earth heaven now and it's just never going to happen. We are never going to be satisfied with all the things that we think we want or if we just get this then we can serve God or if we just get that we can serve God. No, we look ahead to what God has promised for us and we do whatever we feel he wants and needs us to do which is to live like Jesus in the here and in the now. When I share this lesson with my Sunday school class, one of the ladies in the class shared this absolutely marvelous, marvelous uh, little saying. This comes actually from the Talmud. And it says, Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. I think that is just such a marvelous encouragement to us because there is so much in our world today that needs the love of Jesus, the care of Jesus, the mercy and kindness of Jesus. There are people that are struggling. We we all know our struggles really well, but there's people all around us that are struggling and we can help them. When we get really upset, when we get really sad, when we get really confused, we can cry out to God, we can scream, we can yell, we can ask Him all kinds of questions. Never be afraid to question Him. But then after you do that, quietly wait for his answer. Spend some time in his word. And if you do that, I can pretty much guarantee that even though circumstances won't change, there will be a peace in your heart in the midst of those circumstances. And ultimately, that's what happened for Habakkuk. Let me read again his conclusion. This is such a wonderful encouragement. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful 
in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer and enables me to tread on the heights. To make it a little more realistically, keep in mind that talking about the fig tree not budding and no sheep in the pens and all that, basically what he was saying is there could be total economic collapse. My whole world could crumble around me. And yet, he says, I'm still going to be joyful in God. And I hope that encourages all of us. We don't know what our immediate future will bring, but we know that God is in control, that he loves us, and our ultimate future will be glorious. We can ask all the questions we want to ask in between, but no matter what, we can trust that God will enable us to get through whatever he brings into our path. That's all for now. Please check out the notes from this lesson there in downloadable PDF format. And there's a number of other materials for you on the www.bible805.com website. And please do subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss any. We're going to be wrapping up the Old Testament, then getting into the New Testament. And I know that there will be lots of things that will encourage you no matter what your struggles are in life. Now until next time, I'm Yvonne Prynn your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus, and I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.